Welcome to the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubs. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast. Today we're going to talk about your DNA and how it can provide insights into how best to fuel, train, and recover. I've got the Dr. Jeremy Koenig on today. He's the founder and CEO of Athletogen Technologies, a leader in providing precision performance insights to athletes and coaches by blending environmental data and genomics. Today, Dr. Jeremy is going to touch on a lot of things. And of course, from a 30,000-foot view, if you have a body, you're an athlete is number one. Uh, Performance is where nature meets nurture. Jeremy will also dive deeper into specific genes like the COPT gene, which is the warrior versus warrior, as well as genes relating to uh, susceptibility to injury, uh, caffeine metabolism, and so, so much more. He also shares some great insights into his training, uh, his nutrition strategies, and productivity hacks as well. A lot of really cool stuff from an absolute leader in the field. Uh, Really enjoyed this podcast. Hope you find some great clinical pearls here as well. As always, check my layups and the performance hacks at drbubs.com forward slash podcast and enjoy the show. My guest today is Dr. Jeremy Koenig, founder and CEO of Athletogen Technologies, a leader in providing precision performance insights to athletes and coaches by blending environmental data and genomics. Dr. Koenig's development of IRIS, a sports performance application, builds on his understanding of the valid role of genetic research that aims to enhance understanding of athlete susceptibility to injury, training, and recovery. Dr. Koenig was a varsity track and field athlete during his completion of his PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology at Dalhousie University in Halifax, and following graduate school, he pursued postdoctoral training in genetics at Cornell University. He was then a professor of nutrigenomics at Mount St. Vincent University before moving to the biomedical industry. With more than 10 years of experience coaching professional athletes, Dr. Koenig combined his background in genomics and his passion for training when he founded Athletogen in 2014. Three years later, Athletogen is working with Olympians, Paralympians, and elite athletes and coaches. Dr. Koenig continues to combine his passion for sports performance with his formal training in genetics to accelerate scientific discovery through the delivery and application of genomics to every human. Jeremy, thanks so much for taking the time out today. Wow. Thank, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Bubs. It's an um, honor and pleasure. I love, I love what you guys are doing. I follow you on social. I actually listened to your uh, podcast last week with um, you know, microbi- microbiome or microbiota, proper nomenclature. Let's make sure we honor the speaker. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, with Dr. Tommy um, Wood. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it, it's like I said, um, humble to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I mean, obviously, really impressive uh, background. Can you tell folks a little bit about how you got into this, you know, sport and performance and genomics world? How it all came together for you? Sure, but it's not going to be, you know, uh, glamorous. I mean, I, I think it's, um, you know, probably, uh, gosh, um, three or two parts hard work and one part luck. Um, and uh, I think, of course, um, all through it is is. Um, you know, having having some kind of guiding star and feeling um, uh, towards trying to trying to do good, and and, and um, uh, I think uh, ultimately the legacy is is always about um, uh, as a New Zealand All Blacks say is leave the jersey in a better place, right? Awesome. Um, 
Yeah, but but I mean, I can get into some particulars. I, I um, you know, I think it's important to reconcile the fact that uh, you know, yes, we're certainly focused on high performers and 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 athletes, and um, but you know, a, a kind of running joke that I. Uh, have with people that I talk to is like, hey, you know, a- athletes are people too, <laughs> and I think, I think actually Nike says it best. If you if you have a body, you're an athlete. Um, I think um, my affinity for sport performance um, it really comes from uh, it, it, sport was really something that I used as um, you know therapy, um, if you will, uh, growing up. I mean, uh, at a young age, my mom was was diagnosed with. Um, you know, multiple sclerosis, and um, you know, I, I left home at, at a young age, and and um, it was really actually the sport of boxing that kind of got me back on on track, and um, you know, back back in school effectively. But um, you know, I, I was a bit of a mama's boy, and always wanted to you know help mom, and you know, like I said, she diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and so you know, here I was, this 15 year old kid, still just trying to save his mom, and. You know, it's before email, so I'm like, <laughs> you know, mailing professors and, um, you know, running around talking about icosanoid balance and anti-inflammatory diets. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, her um, her life didn't end well, I think, in large part because of just lack of access to information, um, but also because of an unnecessarily slow pace of research. And, you know, I felt this as, as an academic and, and um, you know, I, I just see uh, so much room to, uh, to improve and empower people. And um, that's really through the technology that we're building. And when we come back just, you know, full circle to talk about, hey, what is a performance? I mean, I think that it's where, you know, your, your innate ability or your, your nature um, you know how it's nurtured, where it's nurtured, and that interface. Not it's you know I think we've got a misnomer about you know nature versus nurture. I think it's how you nurture your nature, or na- where nature meets nurture, and, and that's performance, and that's that's life. So your performance could be a nine five eight hundred meter time, or you know it could be living optimally into old age to be the best grandmother to your your grandchildren. Um, so you know the how of um, athletogen or, or, or how I got to where I am, I think, as I said, it was, you know, two parts hard work, one part, uh, luck and, and I think following a feeling that, um, you know, things, things can be better. And, um, that's, uh, I think in a broad sense as the story in, in, uh, leading me to, to where I am today. That's great. I mean, definitely myself as well in terms of clinical practice, working on the elite performance side, but then also with just regular folk who are trying to, you know, talk a lot about health span versus just lifespan, you know, people living a long life, but having those last decades being, you know, in pain and discomfort and et cetera. So, um, you know, maybe before we dive into everything that Athletogen does, can you give everyone a quick, uh, you know, the docs, the nutritionists, the trainers, maybe a quick little review on the DNA side of things, take us back to uh, high school, university level, and then let's dive into what you guys do there at Athletogen. Uh, sure. I think back to, you know, high school um, genetics. And of course, you know, uh, doing doing my um, you know, PhD in molecular biology and postdocing in um, human genetics and actually human microbiome research as well. Um, I think the, the, the challenge or the fallacy that you, you might get stuck into is one of despair where you're like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like I'm really just asking more and more questions the more that I know. And that's what my um, honors uh, uh, supervisor, 
Dr. Melanie Dobson actually first Rhodes Scholar. What she said to me, she's like, ah, now now you're ready. You know, you're <laughs> you're asking you're asking questions, and you and you know it's never ending. So full full disclosure disclaimer. I mean, what's written in the textbooks as soon as it's there, we we know it to be incomplete. But nevertheless, there are fundamentals um, that I think can can certainly serve as a starting point. And, um, you know, if we're going to talk about genetics, uh, you know, people like to describe genetics as the blueprint for, you know, uh, everything in your body. And um, I think blueprints, okay, um, it, 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 it serves um, to a certain extent, but um, it falls short when you uh, start to operate at a cellular level. So... You know, say for example, you know, you have a blueprint of a building, you know, everything's going to be printed and, uh, sorry, everything's going to be made and constructed and it's going to come together. And, you know, a human body is much more dynamic than that. And, um, you know, I, so I like to think of it more as a, as a library. And um, within that library, you uh, have, you know, different, um, you know, books, or books, let's say. So if the library is the cell, um, the books would be, um, you know, I, I would even actually break it down into different rooms or subject matter, um, uh, different, different areas of, of, um, subjects. Um, so different rooms would be like, you know, your, your chromosomes, so different, you know, major, major topics. And then, you know, a, a plethora of, um, you know, volumes within those rooms, but they're all encoded by, you know, four letters, your A, G, C, T, and uh, effectively come together in an infinite number of, of combinations um, that lead to um, the expression of, you know, proteins, enzymes, um, you know, even, even RNA enzymes uh, that uh, effectively come together uh, through cellular differentiation and, and um, you know, human development to, uh, uh, bring hum humankind into into a form, and it's a form that you know. As I kind of, I, I concluded this to, um, explanation, is one that's that's dynamic. So uh, changing based on environmental stressors. So you know things like um, gene ex or environmental pressures, like even a change in diet, can uh, lead to a change in gene expression of different enzymes, for example. So um, Certainly not as static as high school textbooks would would lead, lead you to believe, um, but certainly it's a starting point to you know understanding you know at our core human beings like you know what what is our nature and um, if it, to the reductionists out there you can say yes well there's this four letter code um, you know that we could in theory define any aspect of um, a, a, a human trait um, but the fun is how all these things come together. Absolutely. I mean, it's always amazing how we respond to the, our environment and, you know, the old adage of, you know, the genes load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. Now, for you guys mm -hmm. at Athletogen, I mean, in dividing things up into this idea of, you know, nutrition and response to training, injury recovery, sports psychology, you've, you know, you've grouped things in certain areas. Is that, uh, is that something that you guys came to organically? Did that evolve over time? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, um, a great question. I mean, I think, I think in large part, um, it, it came through surveying the, the literature, right? Um, so these aren't necessarily categories that um, we defined up front a, a priori. It was, it was, hey, let's take a look at where uh, all the white papers are and, um, you know, and then go from there. And, you know, obviously nutrition, nutrigenomics is a, is a hot area of research. And, um, you know, human, human performance is, is um, 
you know, one that uh, is receiving a lot of interest nowadays, uh, absolutely. But um, when you come to, you know, aspects of uh, human performance, obviously, you know, the nutritional component pays, plays into that as well and uh, sports psychology um, also. Uh, so I think it works like chunking things like this, um, you know, helps people you know, start to consume content. Um, but, uh, the, the real fun comes in, uh, when you start looking at, um, you know, all these things in concert. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, even in functional medicine, this idea of kind of looking at all the patterns and the trends and and where people are, um, sitting, whether it's symptom wise, lab testing wise to give us these general ideas. And I, I know that's a lot of what you guys do with in terms of the genetics. So can we talk about a few of the specifics around the genetic markers? I mean, um, you know, I know in nutrition, the CYP1A2 in terms of involving metabolism, caffeine metabolism, myself, I'm, a, I'm an AC, I'm a slow metabolizer. So, you know, can you give folks at home an idea of what does that mean for me and, uh, or for someone on the performance side or even a health side? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's a really interesting one that, um, and I'm glad you brought it up because I think so many of us can can relate to this. And you know, I think um, maybe the best way to describe it to listeners is even even through my own experience. So when when I was chatting to you just before we started, remember I said you know I went down to Altiz to train with um, you know a former training partner of mine in college, and he's always making coffee. He's like, hey, you want coffee? You want coffee? You want coffee? And I was like, okay, yeah, sure, you're having it, you're having it. And like by day three, I was like shaking so much I couldn't move. I was dehydrated. I was just like wired. I was like a, like a border collie, like just like, what, 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 what's next? Yeah. And he, yeah. he was just like chill and relaxed and like drinking coffee before bed. And this is like, Oh my God. So really what it has to do is, uh, with the speed at which that you metabolize and, and, um, you know, effectively, uh, uh, eliminate caffeine from your system. And some people do that much more quickly than others. And, um, you know, well, how does that, impact people um i mean i can tell you how it impacts me like if i'm not careful um i can you know find myself consuming too much coffee and 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 my mental acuity just is is blown away because i just can't focus um i think um in terms of uh you know performance and and training even anything with any kind of like skill component um you know, I find if uh, beyond a certain threshold of caffeine, I actually get diminishing returns and act, actually uh, like harmful um, uh, effect. And um, you know, so this comes back to like behavior modification. And you know, again, we were talking before we started. Is uh, you know, instead of like a shot of caffeine in the morning, I hop in the cold tub because you know that just gets my nervous system going. And I look for you know more kind of a natural. Um, you know, supplements with, uh, you know, kind of a nootropic effect, um, you know, versus megadosing on, on caffeine. So, um, you know, how, how does that, uh, that, that's how it affects me. But I mean, it, it's amazing how something seemingly so trivial can actually have such far reaching effects. Like, you know, an athlete, for example, if they're sensitive to caffeine and they're training at, you know, four or five o'clock at night and they're, you know, stimulating their, you know, their, their, their nervous system, you know, beyond all, all get out and, 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 um, trying to go to sleep after that, um, sleep, I think sleep hygiene gets, um, negatively affected and you can find yourself in a you know, downward spiral, spiral of, um, you know, overtraining because you're not recovering effectively. Uh, so yeah, that's just, that's just one simple insight, you know, and hundred yeah, percent. I mean, we even for us kind of the basketball, I mean, a lot of our guys playing games, obviously NBA games are in the evening. And so, you know, like you mentioned, you can get some of those performance benefits, but for a lot of guys, 
uh, depending even on the size of the coffee they're having, you know, get into these venti 600 milligrams at 7 p.m. All of a sudden, uh, over the course of an 82-game season, we're going to get some possibly some really diminishing returns. And I think you know, a lot of people forget even that three milligrams per kilogram is kind of that magic uh, spot there. And folks who are just working hard, you know, downtown type A's, etc. I mean, I'm always amazed when somebody comes in and they're on their third or fourth cup by noon. Um, which, you know, again, if you have some information around some of these genes and we got a better understanding of why for some of us we feel like we've got anxiety at that point whereas other people are able to, to kind of survive, right? More is better. That's the fallacy we find ourselves in all the time. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's not about more is better. It's like how can you do more, if you will, uh, um, you know, research or um, – you know, learning, knowledge acquisition, um, and, and, and apply, you know, that information to, um, you know, your, your body. And it's not necessarily just, Oh, got a, you know, some minor boost in performance here in caffeine. Let's, let's go more and more and more. I mean, that's, it's a minimum effective dose. Um, I think is something that uh, we, we hear a lot about in the medical, um, field. Um, but it's, it's kind of creeping into even the performance realm. You know, you hear Dan Path use it over and over again, minimum, minimum, minimum effective dose. I mean, training is ultimately stress and, um, you know, we, we, uh, are coming off, I think a previous generation of this notion of no pain, no gain. And like, sure. I mean, things are going to be hard and difficult, but not, they don't necessarily have to hurt, um, and um, you know, pain isn't necessarily the indicator that uh, would suggest you're doing the right thing. Um, but I mean, I think like I, I, I always love to go back to Usain Bolt um, as an example. If he just naturally ran nine five eight with no training, he probably wouldn't train. I mean, what's the point? Exactly. So, so if you can find, it's a careful balance between hey, what's what's the um, what's the minimum amount of work I have to do to get the maximum benefit and. You know, people, athletes especially, are always flirting with that line, um, and a lot of them cross it, the injury line, um, just through a lack of understanding about their bodies. 100%. I mean, it's definitely if people and athletes, type A's, fall back on that just more is better mentality because that's what they're good at. They can push themselves. So great uh, great comments on that. Now, on the injury prevention side, if we shift over, I mean, some genes as well that uh, code for, for risk around, uh, you know, tendons, Achilles. Can you talk us through uh, – that at all yeah absolutely and and um you know what i can do is i got a few slides on this actually i can i can post um to some of your listeners if they're if they're interested because uh, we actually went through a use case um on this um you know specifically perfect at, at, at altis and um you know this is this is really neat because uh well you know we followed um you know a female uh, athlete over time and and um, you know it, it was kind of a more of a perspectival study um, you know case study in that way where um, you know we looked at various aspects of um, you know like hey what what is what did this athlete present with before injury for example so biomechanical risk factors so like asymmetrical loading or this athlete was four foot dominant pigeon toed um, and then there was always this kind of soreness. There was a manageable soreness, but a soreness nevertheless. Um, and specifically, uh, injury history was, again, an Achilles um, tendonitis slash soreness that was revealed, um, you know, after this athlete came off of a very, very high training load 
um, you know, ran a PB the week before and then actually ruptured her Achilles tendon. Um, so the interesting thing is, you know, we went, we went back and, um, you know, took a look at, um, the genetic aspect of, um, this athlete's predisposition. And, and you'll notice that I, I prefaced, um, this whole, um, explanation, you know, with the environmental factors ahead of time, right? Because this is, sure. this is the context that needs to be added, um, you know, to, to, um, you know, any, any DNA information. Uh, and so it wasn't just, you know, the call, uh, 5A1 gene that's responsible for, um, you know, the synthesis of, um, collagen tendinous ligament collagen. Um, and that a variant of that, um, tends to be a, um, you know, uh, correlated with individuals with, um, you know, a higher in or populations with a higher incidence of Achilles tendon rupture. Um, but you know, there, there are other factors as well, other genetic factors like call one, a one, and there's the cast P eight and MMP three. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll put this slide out to your listeners if they're interested because I perfect. I'm, no, this is show notes I'm, for I'm sure. much more visual with all these like <laughs> cryptic codes out there. I'll, I'll, I'll put this, put this out. But, um, yeah, the, the athlete that, um, you know, presented with this, uh, um, uh, predisposition towards injury and all of those environmental signals, um, did in fact rupture her Achilles tendon. And then, you know, what's interesting, you know, just our own, um, you know, research and working with Altis, we, we look at, for an example, uh, an elite track and field population. And uh, what we see is the protective allele of the call 5A1 um, marker, the one that you, you asked, the uh, protective variant there um, is actually present in 48%. So that's homozygous, so both versions of the protective allele. That's present in 48%. If we compare that to the general population, it's only 11%. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, pretty striking. So it's like, you know, a lot of your longevity in your career has a lot to do with, you know, in a, in a sense, um, your uh, predisposed risk to injury. Now, and it's not to say that, okay, well, folks, um, you know, with, with the vulnerability can't necessarily be in the track and field organization. Well, because if I look at, you know, folks that are, have both, um, you know, uh, copies of the, of the allele that would predispose them to rupture, there's still 15% of them. And there's 37% that are, that are home are heterozygous. So have one protective version and, and, and one not. The opportunity here is, um, you know, if we're talking about longevity, we're talking about preserving the careers of these individuals, uh, is, is um, you know, paying particular attention to things like training load and soreness, uh, injury history to, to those people that are um, potentially at a, at a higher risk as indicated by their genetics. And, you know, when we just ask the folks at Alta, it's like, hey, well, who's on the table all the time? Yeah. It's like, well, lo and behold, um, you know, these are these are folks that are that are likely to have the, the predisposition. So we can get ahead of the injury. We can we can um, we can extend a uh, player or an athlete's career uh, just by giving them information in in a um, in a responsible way. And we've actually seen this. I believe there was a um, a study that was published uh, a, a, a group out of um, you know Stanford University um, and. Um, they effectively found uh, that in communicating with triathletes, their injury vulnerability, I think they, they saw a decline uh, in injury with those people by 70% compared to a control population or something like that. Just basically wow. showing 
that just by through communication of information, um, you're you're going to have a, uh, a more informed training plan and ultimately um, avoid avoid injury. Yeah, I mean that's um, it's compelling stuff, especially even for us in terms of kind of the basketball or myself with basketball players as well, jumping sports. This idea of you know injury prevention, especially as it relates to Achilles, etc., is so key. And even as a gateway, even for a lot of the nutrition changes, because when people start to see that there is some potential there, then all of a sudden um, that buy-in and being able to build some of those habits. Uh, it gets to be a little bit, a little bit easier. Do you guys notice that a little bit with uh, down at Altus or with some of the athletes? Or I think I think in general, you know, what I what I found is, um, you know, you mentioned in, in in my bio that like you know I, I've been working with um, high performance athletes for you know over ten over ten years. Just um, you know, really uh, because it was so much fun. I, I loved working with um, you know a lot of these guys were um, like NHL level hockey players. Uh, you know, some football and track and field athletes that I worked with, basketball as well. Um, and what I found, and, and actually I worked with some, you know, high-performing executives, and what I found over and over again is what people really loved was a program tailored to them. You know, obviously um, certain principles um, and, um, you know, practices, <coughs> excuse me, that were consistent with uh, high performers being adapted to their individual needs, like that really resonates with people. Um, I think uh, when you look at a group of athletes training, um, you know, you see this kind of uh, desire initially for athletes. Well, if they're doing that much, I want to do that much too. Um, and uh, you know, interestingly, you know, just to answer the question specifically, like what happens when you have these conversations with with athletes at Altis? Um, you know, Dan Path had a group of jumpers, vaulters, multi-event folks, and, and there were some athletes that just were, you know, always inflamed, never recovering from training, and then as soon as they move out over to a taper or a rollover um, program that he refers to as a rollover program, which is basically a competitive um, program, uh, the athletes with, that were constantly inflamed and not recovering were all of a sudden performing insanely well um, because of the reduction in volume. And, and those athletes that um, didn't do well during the training season uh, had markers that um, would indicate uh, slower recovery and increased uh, risk to, to injury. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, the movement towards personalized nutrition, personalized training, personalized medicine. I mean, it's intuitively mm -hmm. it makes so much sense, but it's it's amazing how the sort of the revolution is now coming on with being able to do some of these things. And um, obviously what you mentioned there in terms of Dan being able to visualize this with athletes etc now with your work with the guys down at altus i mean i know uh you know the sprint gene the actin three there uh, is that is that a, a a real thing are we able to identify certain people or what does that tell us in athletes or even the average person who uh you know is trying to stay fit doing some crossfit lifting who, who notices they have this variant is it uh going to influence how they train sure um i just one thing dr Bubs, no no person is average at 3.8 billion years you're here you're awesome <laughs> I love it. Absolutely, to 100% agree. 100% agree. That distinction. Uh, we, we put labels on ourselves, or we accept labels from other people. I think anybody with a remarkable role is cool, and I want to work with that person. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, and actually, I can actually post this slide as well. Um, if we look at, say, for example, actin three, um, you know, we uh, for for folks that. Um, 
um, haven't read uh, David Epstein's The Sport Gene, uh, what we see in an actin-3 um, mutation in the, in the sprint gene is um, essentially this uh, absence of an alpha actin-3 expression, and then you get a compensatory overexpression of um, alpha actin-2. Um, and this has implication to like the Z disc structure within the um, sarcomeric contraction region um, within the muscle changes leverage changes how the muscle is fueled and the kinds of um, nutrients it uses um, but ultimately you know one of the things that we do see um, and this is like coming from you know one of the original um, uh, um, white paper studies actin 3 genotype is associated with human elite athletic performance I mean I'm actually reading verbatim um, the, uh, the title here, um, first author, um, Dr. Yang, uh, but, uh, I just even look at that title and I think of how irresponsible a title that is because, um, what do we mean by elite athletic performance? Because we're talking about speed power generation, right? So you're looking at a sub population of athletes and maybe it's, it is, um, you know, certainly overrepresented. Uh, in in some um, populations, um, in particular sprinters, I mean we we know that to be true. Um, we do also see that um, actin three genotype um, uh, and, and modulation of skeletal muscle response to exercise um, in some uh, human subjects. So okay, fine, you, maybe you're you're putting on more muscle mass. Um, but what if I have that Achilles tendon predisposition to rupture? Um, you know, if I have bigger structures pulling on those weaker structures, is that actually increased performance? So we've got to look at it in a holistic uh, fashion. And then if we talk about like talent identification, it's like, well, you know, just press pause for a second here. Um, because, you know, we've, we've found some world-class athletes that don't have the quote unquote sprint gene um, that have yep. been, as, as I said, Olympic level, like 200 meter athletes. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not to say that Okay, well, could could you take this information and and, and move laterally, like, um, you know, m maybe um, go up in the in the, in the four hundred or, but the point is that you know there are exceptions to the rule, and if you look at how any of these studies are done, you know. In the in the in the early days, you might you know classify a, a group of individuals and and um, you know find cases versus controls and do what's referred to as a genome wide association study. But you know effectively, what you are finding is an overrepresentation, not something that's ubiquitous. Um, an overrepresentation of say sprinters would would have there would be an overrepresentation of the sprint gene variant. Um, but we don't want to extrapolate that um, to to include uh, all people. I mean. Uh, we see the mold broken time and time again, and I think that's why we love sport so much, um, is because it constantly proves us wrong in what we thought were the limitations um, on human performance. For sure, 100% agree. So I guess the the uh, desk worker who finds the the best variant of that shouldn't just quit their job and uh, try to go for Olympic gold. I guess right? There's more to the story. <laughs> I guess I guess not necessarily, but I mean I think people people get motivated in in different ways. I mean let's not forget that. I mean if you could say, hey, wow, you're really genetically similar to Usain Bolt. Like, I mean if you got a sedentary person and that gets them off the couch, I mean I think that that's kind of cool. Phenomenal, absolutely, totally agree. But you got to manage people's expectations. I think that um, 
you know, taking people's genetics based on where it is today and plugging it into an algorithm and saying, here's your optimal training plan. I think that's very short sighted. Um, For sure. Yeah. Now, the, the brain, obviously, is the sort of the new frontier in sport performance. Um, what can we tell from the genetic side of things that could influence in terms of, uh, you know, psyche, uh, in terms of sport and elite athletics? Yeah, th- this is this is an interesting one. Um, uh, again, uh, starting with a disclaimer that, uh, like you said, right, the the um, um, genetics loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. Um there's, uh, you know, one one particular variant of the um, <coughs> of the, and I'll post this as well, uh, of the, the the comp gene that actually um, is referred to in the literature as the warrior versus the worrier gene, um, and this has to do with uh, the rate of metabolism of, you know, various neurotransmitters um, and uh, you know, dopamine, for example. Um, what what's interesting is that you can kind of pick these people people out, um, and I and I do time and time again. Like um, that kind of well, you know, that, I describe that kind of border collie like behavior. Like in me, when I take all that caffeine, that tends to be like more of your worrier. Yeah. Um, we we like the term strategist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But, but like in that individual, they don't need very much stress to bring urgency um, to a situation. And these are like the folks that like really like to practice, right? But they might buckle under pressure or, you know, this kind of personality might be overrepresented in a pitcher or a goalie, um, not, not universally, but, um, definitely an overrepresentation and, um, you know, how individuals, um, as I said, handle stress when they're in the warrior state, um, you know, they often need a whole heck of a lot of stress, like the stress of competition to get up for performance. So, you know, what do you do with that information? You know, and we just um, anecdotally at this point, we see things um, even like like athletes with these different genotypes already kind of figuring it out from themselves. Because a lot of these are very mature athletes um, and they've learned this through trial and error. But the folks that would tend to be more of a strategist, they listen to like more like classical music on race day, believe it or not, compared to like the warriors. They're like more kind of really base, base kind of, you know, get me pumped, let's go. Um I mean, I'm always amazed at, uh, you know, certain athletes when it's in terms of practice are able to perform at certain levels. And then when the games, when it comes time to perform in games or big games and things can change for some uh, in a negative way. And some athletes who you wouldn't expect to necessarily perform in those high pressure situations, all of a sudden have more of that warrior mentality and come out off the bench and have you know, a big performance um, or in an event unexpectedly. So um, that's that's really interesting. Now, you know, we've got one of our uh, old Canada basketball guys there. Dr. Jazz is down there with Altus. Jazz, yeah, there you go, man. That's amazing. You know what he did. You know what he did for me. Um, it, <laughs> this was insane. Um, so yesterday, yesterday, sorry, Saturday. Wow, all the days bleed together. Um, Saturday, I was in. I was like, um, you know, he just like looks at me. He's like, hey, you, you know, you want me to look, take a look at your foot, right? Because. Um, you know, I rolled my right ankle, and he can just see like it's 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 it, the flexion isn't there. There's no range of motion, and it's just just basically it's stuck in the ankle joint. And yeah, and he's like, you know, I want to use you as a as guinea pig to you know go through with my therapist and 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 walk them through and see if we can find that not not just treat the problem but find the the cause, right? What about like understanding the pathology and for sure. And, and, and so anyway, he goes through it and, and, um, you know, he, he walks through the anatomy and, and the approach with, uh, 
um, you know, some of the interns that he has here, but then he goes more so into like the neural, um, pathways and, um, you know, he just starts doing the, the QA decision tree type stuff and yeah. brought it back to discovering that I actually had a spondylolisthesis at L4 and, and he's like, okay, so what do we know about that nerve root? And, and so, you know, <laughs> so, so, so jazz is like, you don't have a foot problem. I mean, you have a foot problem, but you don't have a foot problem, which, which was just nuts. Um, and then he's like, okay, no, the, the true diagnostic is, you know, get a, um, get a cortisone shot and, um, or get, get an epidural and find, and, and, and see if the, you know, cause I got a little bit of pain in the Achilles, um, tendon or the sheath actually. Yeah. Um, but anyway, just, just that process that he has and, and that he's finding a way to scale it. He, he just blew my mind. Blew my mind. He's a pretty sharp dude, man. Now, coming out on the nutrigenomics front, you know, what are some things that have you, you know, excited in terms of some of the potential going forward here in the next few years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just the the um, the fact that 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 people are <clears throat> starting to understand how important this is um, is the first thing that's exciting. Um, you know, just to back up and you know, to give your listeners context, it's like, well, you know, historically. Um, we, if we look at you know human evolution, like we had these geographical, geological barriers that would exist and allow populations, um, or I should say, force populations to, to you know, essentially evolve in, in concert with a closed ecosystem, if you will. Um, so if you have folks that you know are, are hailing from, say, um, you know, Central Africa, like milk was actually a water source. So if you didn't have lactase persistence and had explosive diarrhea, you weren't going to make it. Um, so <laughs> in some cases, like, hey, milk, okay, you're good. There's, I mean, maybe low levels of inflammation, but, you know, nothing to go crazy over. Um, I think the same things that we're seeing around, like, various food allergens, like, you know, like um, gluten, for example, um, uh, you know, I think um, having people come to uh, understand that their genomes are like now cosmopolitan because you know we're mixing, we're we're all moving around the planet, and so like some aspects of diversity um, are are in us that we didn't we didn't necessarily appreciate before. So um, you know, I think getting to the heart of your individual requirements and and really, I think um, putting the the power into the the hands of the of the user um, is is the most exciting thing for me. And and what do I mean by that? Well, you know, we built this entire education program as well that we've been, you know, testing um, uh, with coaches. You, you should get on it. You should you should join our next session. They're free, by the way. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll send that info as well. Um, so uh, you, you know, the the idea that people are going to start to to take charge and, and, you know, start to see things in their lives. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, I, I, I do, um, tend to take longer to acclimatize to higher altitude and, you know, I have uh, lower, lower predisposition to say B12 or serum B12 levels or iron levels. And so I have to be more proactive about how I um, manage that nutrition, uh, as a result, because, um, it, it's really like, there's no, magic silver bullet but there's like a bunch of lead bullets and i think if we show people how to you know to use your analogy again um understand what their gun is loaded with and what the triggers are um you're going to see people i think really engaged in understanding themselves and 
um, I think in the longer term, you're going to be offsetting, you know, so in the short term, you know, definitely controlling for things like, you know, inflammation and recovery and leading to optimal performance in athletes. But in the longer term, I think this has huge implications um, in terms of managing um, individual needs, getting the precision nutrition and preventing things like, you know, uh, you know, chronic disease and, and inflammatory states that folks fall into, into middle, mid to late age. Yeah, absolutely love it. I mean, circling back to your comment about everyone being exceptional. I mean, I, you know, in my book, I mentioned sort of the inner everyone's inner athlete and that idea that yeah, we're all it is exceptional that we're all here and then the human body is as you know just phenomenal. And uh, of course, all these insights that we can get. I recently had Dr. Kate Shanahan on, and of course, she dives into the, the nutrition and how that impacts the genes. And so this whole story starts to kind of unfold in front of us. So it's pretty cool that you guys are on the leading edge of of, of what's coming out. Now, if we if we shift gears a little bit here, I want to respect your time for the day. Um, mm. Can you tell us you you you've, you've give us some little snippets there, but can you give us some insights into yourself? How do you start the day? You know, is coffee still part of the routine? Is it not? Yeah. How does that look like? Well, coffee is now like a it's like a secret weapon. You know, I don't I don't use caffeine so much, um, but uh, um, when I when I do it it. it um, you know, it definitely has has an impact um, as a result. But um, I, I think like the biggest thing um, that uh, that I need to introduce into my life is is some kind of um, constancy or consistency because there is a lot of you know a lot of travel, a lot of hustle um, that goes into starting and, and building a company. And you know, I've got a great team, um, so uh, that's that's really been something that's supported me over the years. But um, you know, certainly, I, I I make it a point to to carve out anywhere from you know one to you know three hours, one to four hours a day on weekdays, uh, whether it be mindfulness training or, or my, mindfulness meditation or training, or it's kind of more like as as I feel um, type of training to really um, balance the um, I think the professional workload um, that that I have. And Saturday, I kind of reserve as a day to like. <laughs> just train until I don't need to anymore. Nice. <laughs> if that nice. if, if that makes sense. So like I you know I like to wake up early and I just just go and, and until I'm like okay you know that that's enough. Um, but you know typically if I if I say you know go with a like a, well, like a day like today, um, you know I'm up at five, uh, jumping in the cold tub at uh, um, at six, and I did uh, meditation series, uh, quick um, you know restorative yoga, and then I did a VO2 max session and then I jumped back in the cold tub and rushed over to see you. Um, awesome. So that, yeah, that, that, that was today. And then, and then of course, like, you know, the, the nutritional side of things, like a big part of it is yes, like what you take. And I do optimize that <laughs> based on what I know about, you know, my, my genetics. Um, but it's also timing. Um, so I, I, um, implement like a, a variation of intermittent fasting, um, but a lot of like majority of my meals, like, like my highly higher caloric, um, in, um, intake is going to be post exercise. I really like this notion of you hunt and then you eat, um, nice. pretty, it's a pretty simple one. Um, and, uh, and then I, I tend to modulate, uh, carbohydrates through the day where, you know, I'll actually, um, as I said, uh, have, have more of those starchy foods, like after my training to, to, really serve more as a glycogen um restoration and replenishment so um yeah that's that's um that's my training throughout the day and then and, you know um my days consists of 
um, you know, a lot of work in, in hammering out um, uh, the execution of the vision with my awesome team. Um, like Monday is like usually a big alignment day, and then you know uh, something that I, I do as well, uh, and I learned this just doing a time management exercise, um, is I actually pair tasks or I try to do tasks back to back that are most similar because we know task changing takes time and, and, and really sucks into your um, effectiveness, I think. So for sure, for sure. if I'm doing like kind of like deep thinking um, work, I'm, I'm not going to hop on a podcast after that because I'll just, <laughs> I'll be too, a little bit Glazed too much. Over. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and then on the other hand, it's like after this podcast, I'm not going to, you know, hop on the, 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 the uh, in with the team and, and go through product specs um, because my mind will be too expanded. Um, so that that's a really important trick that is analogous to training, right? right? Like you don't go and get a uh, relaxing deep tissue massage and then hop onto the squat rack and try to move 500 pounds, right? So um, athletes uh, turned uh, entrepreneurs will appreciate that analogy. 100%. I mean, it's amazing how that just sort of brings it to life, doesn't it? Where we're doing all these things in our day, we don't realize how um, conflicting they are. And then when you use an analogy like that, it's like, geez, obviously that, that, does, that makes total sense. Um, yeah. Now let's wrap things up here. Just that 30,000 foot view, if you can answer a question for us. Why do you do what you do? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I um, why, your why? I mean, the, the why is so important, right? Like I, uh, I think I alluded to this um, before, like it, it really is a simple answer. Um, and, you know, it's for mom. Why do I do this? It's for mom. And, um, you know, it's for any, you know, kid that wanted to like, um, you know, help their mom or help somebody uh, get better um, through the, um, you know, sharing of information and collaboration. Uh, that's 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 my big why, um, and um, you know I think the other one is because because I can. I mean this is like a very, uh, as I said, ac accidental. I'm not going to pretend I, I was so strategic in planning my life this way, but um, you know I, I just kind of uh, fell into these two fields like human performance and um, and genetics, and and um, I, I think that um, I'm in a position to help. Uh, a lot of people by mobilizing a team around this vision and um, you know we're already seeing the the effects of that uh, I mean I'll just share you know one example is um, you know so uh, I mentioned things that didn't end so well for my, my mom but um, you know my sister for example she um, was running into this issue with um, you know psoriasis um, and uh, you know she's having all these lesions all over her face she you know know what's going on and I was like well you know what we're, we're gonna be um, you know working with this company that's that's um, you know trying to to solve for that problem for you know um, psoriasis uh, medication let me let me see if I can get some information see if I can get you into the pilot and um, uh, anyway I called I called uh, John and, and um, said hey you know can we get my sister into this study because we're gonna be looking at blood and DNA and um, you know, response to different um, treatments and, and what are the triggers that are leading to this um, inflammatory response. And he said, yeah, yeah, of course she can come in and study. But, um, you know, tell me more about her condition. I'm like, well, you know, she had a baby and, um, you know, she's uh, having flare-ups like never before. I had them when she was a kid, I remember, but never like this. Uh, she can't get any answers. Getting her blood work done. Nobody's giving her any insights. And he's like, okay, well, here's what you can do. 
first things first, like here's a topical solution that's safe for the baby. And secondly, the issue is that when she's pregnant, she's accumulating more brown fat. And, you know, that's more of your uh, adaptive immune system. So like antimicrobials that are enriched there um, that uh, give the innate immune system a break. And um, when the baby, you know, when, when my sister started to breastfeed, of course, the brown fat goes away and then her innate immune system gets bombarded and it's just like, you know, going into overdrive. Sure. So then, you know, I call back my sister and I'm like, hey, here's what's going on. And it's just like, you know, tears of like confusion and, and despair, like to, wow, okay, cool. Like I have the answer. And like to be able to do that, for everybody, I mean, I think everybody has a problem, like a health problem like that or a performance problem like that. And this is really about putting a tool in their hands and connecting them to a community to solve for that. Um, and and uh, that's really what, it, it excites me. Like it excites me to hear like stories from like a guy I was talking to um, just this morning, uh, a Canadian triathlete who, um, I did some work with a few years ago and gave him some insights and he's like, Oh yeah, you know, by the way, I took like 32 minutes off my Ironman because of the insights that you gave wow. me. And I was just like, Whoa, like, what did I say? And it really, what, like, I don't see it as anything. There's nothing big, you know, there's no one big thing, but I think, you know, we get people to start looking internally at how awesome they are, how powerful they are and to start coaching other people and sharing. Uh, I mean, like we talked about, this this resource nutrigenomics being like, oh, this is like a really you know cool area, and it's just like it's it's going to become so much more cool, and people, you know, start understanding as I said their own technology, 3.8 billion years in the making, and um, you know that's when we're going to really accelerate um, innovation. I think it's a it's a global collaboration that that we're working towards, and I don't know, but. For me, it's like, how could I not do that? That's, um, that's but, fantastic, man. Well, it's inspiring yeah. stuff, and it's inspiring to listen, you know, hearing you speak. And you know, where can people learn more about Athletogen, keep up with your work, and connect with, uh, you know, your team on social media? Yeah, um, athletogen.com is, uh, is where we're at. And I think, you know, just for your listeners being the um, professional crowd, uh, um, you know, we'll definitely follow up with um, the, the education resources that we, that we have. Um, Heather is, is a uh, actually former pole vaulter, uh, RBC Olympian. I stole her from Altas, and I'm not even feeling bad about it. <laughs> she's our, our, our head of um, strategic partnerships, and and she's working on a really cool um, affiliate program too. So um, I'll, I'll get her contact out there for you guys as well. So it's an exciting time, and we're looking for you know like-minded individuals that um, want to help steer the ship. So. Yeah, Phenomenal. Well, really appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're a very busy guy. And for everyone else, thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find all the links and a podcast summary in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you on Facebook or Twitter at drbubs or use the hashtag drbubspp. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening. The Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.